Hi, I'm John McComb from The John McComb Show, and I took a left at the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists, you know. We don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist. 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 Coming at you from Trump's White House thingy, this is Left of the Valley. My name is Kevin, I don't lie, I use alternative facts. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team who supports the church in a non-traditional way. She didn't march with women, she just saunters for protesters, Nancy. <laughs> Sauntering along, I like it, I like it. He didn't punch a theist, he simply gave him a backhanded compliment, Tyler. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and he didn't joke about Jesus, he simply tickled some ribs, Kevin. Hey everyone, it's great to be with you today. <laughs> guys, welcome back. I hope you guys had a good week. Welcome back to the show. Alternative facts, eh? I of mean, course. Are, are people starting to realize why I'm so pissed about alternative medicine now? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we call it that for a reason. Yeah. Bell right out of the gate. Good there for you, go. man. Well, first, we're going to have a great show today. We're talking to the legendary Seth Andrews. That will be fun. Yeah, that's, we're Seth looking Andrews. forward to that. Yeah, sure. everybody knows who he is. I watched mm-hmm. his uh, interview with Richard Dawkins this morning, and that's pretty much all the information that I have. So I have, obviously, some beginner questions, I guess. Good to know. He gets a lot of views, though, eh? Yeah, he's oh, a yeah. popular yeah, guy. He's super popular. But first, a bit of chit-chat. So, uh, Mr. Trump is quick out of the gate, and he's... Uh, Nancy, I know you want to talk about this because last week you weren't here with us, but you went uh, to Bellingham to do the uh, Women's March, which is probably one of the biggest marches in the world. Actually. Absolutely. Oh, it was it wow. was fabulous. The the uh, regardless of of what you think about the inauguration, <clears throat> and you think about Trump, although the two are are tied in. That march, it, it was an activist delight. It really, it really was. It brought together people for all the right reasons. And um, in Bellingham, let me let me backtrack. Um, I went to the women's march <clears throat> in Bellingham, Washington, which is just about forty minutes over the border from where we have our our studio here in Abbotsford. And um, so it was a very quick commute. Went with a friend. And the population in Bellingham is a little over 80,000 people. It may be approaching 100,000, but it has a way to go. Um, And they were anticipating 5,000 people um, to march. And they had a wonderful uh, Facebook page. It was well organized. They gave a lot of information out uh, for people coming to the march, what they should wear, what they should bring, um, how aware they should be about their surroundings. Um, uh, They they put um, who who would be there protecting them if need be. Uh, They put everything on there. So they set up security and stuff? Yeah, they had had the police um, that were there, and then they also had um, some um, marched um, protect not protectors but leaders you know to, to be able to guide people and and answer questions kind of like um, goodwill ambassadors kind goodwill of like. goodwill ambassadors okay, so. they had food trucks along the line they had they made sure that everybody there would be would be comfortable so out of 80,000 population and expecting 5,000 10,000 people showed up and the beginning of the march was at was at city hall and if you visualize 10,000 people you'd think of people jammed together pushing and shoving everybody trying to and it was exactly the opposite the mood was jovial and friendly it was it was truly like a um, an outing a family outing there were children, there were adults, there were people in, in wheelchairs, there were you know, seniors, um, there were people of, of all different stripes and colors, and um, they, about, uh, oh, I'd say half of them at least were carrying were carrying signs, and there were a lot of people, it was so, so much fun because there were people taking 
uh, photos of all of the, the different signs, but it was a really uh, happy, happy <laughs> occasion. They had people there who uh, provided some entertainment and had some speeches. And so we got there about 10 o'clock, and then the march started about 11. And the march itself was a mile long from City Hall down to the... Um, downtown section of Bellingham. And the interesting thing to me was after the march, when I looked at the the videos and the Facebook um, pages of the other marchers, they were interchangeable. The marchers in L.A. versus New York versus Denver versus Bellingham, if you put all those pictures side by side, you couldn't tell. They were smiling, there were children, there were there were people who had a really joyous outlook. And um, the, the march was not only uh, against Trump, but it was for the, the spirit of um, uh, positivity and what we could accomplish if we all stood together and making mm -hmm. sure we have each, have each other's backs. Well, what was and, the news coverage like? Well, this reporter was possibly a little hasty earlier. We'd like to reaffirm his allegiance to this country and its human president. May not be perfect, but it's still the best government we have. For now. The news cover, I couldn't... Like TV the, stations and newspapers? And well, there were some helicopters um, overhead, but there were so many people taking pictures that it was hard to tell if they were news uh, people or not. I think the paper did cover it quite well, the Bellingham Herald, but I don't know whether there were any other you know, TV stations there. I don't remember what not. the number was nationwide, three million or something. Oh, like half that. a million easy. No, I thought oh, it was no, nationwide. It was no. Yeah, yeah, well, well, not half that. a million. It was over. Wasn't it over a million, Kevin? How many? I thought it was three million. Yeah, I thought, I thought it, was, yeah, it was a big it number. Was, yeah, the, I guess. But you guys, you guys just walk from point A to point B, just in unison or whatever. Yeah, everybody. Well, uh -huh. you could, you could. Nancy leave was burning time. her bra. Yeah, yeah, I bet. They could. They. I guess the the most important takeaway is that was this a moment or a movement? And of course, everybody is, uh, you know, who who wants democracy to continue is hoping that the people who put their time and their energy into the march are also going to do it by either joining or supporting the ACLU and Planned Parenthood and other yeah. organizations that are mm -hmm. there to, well, to help I, I read protect this, democracy. I read this really good article from The Atlantic. It was something along the lines of how to learn from the older protests, like the Martin Luther King ones and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, walking from point A to point B was good, but the way that Martin Luther King and people like that tend to make a big impact is they were doing a lot of boycotting and getting large groups of people, like you're saying, to block off entrances and exits of like important government buildings, that kind of thing, being an actual nuisance, right? Well, I, I, I think the purpose of this was not to be a... Uh, a nuisance, but to show solidarity and to let yeah. the income as like in an initial, we're going to stand together kind of thing. Because the yeah. abortion crap that's happening in the states is pissing me off, and Canada and the Netherlands have kind of agreed to pitch in cash to be able to provide that kind of thing. I mean, somebody the other day from Canada was saying that we don't here in Canada provide abortions to people free of charge, and that it's the truth is the opposite. I'd say more than 90% of abortions are publicly funded, and they even force private companies who are doing the abortions to basically get some government involvement and government money. Yeah, when yeah. you have an abortion, it's not costing you anything but an arm and a leg. But it's like, four, <laughs> it's like a minimum of $400 in some places in the States, and when you're on welfare and you've already got kids, you know, you're trying to help those, you're trying to make it easy. You need to throw free birth control at them. I, agree, well, I totally agree. To, to, to close like, off the march for a little bit and bring Canada into it, one negative thing that, that happened, and it was happening uh, here in B.C. and, and uh, some instances in eastern Canada as well, is that there were Canadians who uh, went to the U.S. or tried to go to the U.S. Yeah. to march. And at some places, at some border crossings, when they told the border guards that they were going to the U.S to march, they were turned away and said that they can't enter. They were questioned about their politics and yeah. what they thought mm -hmm. about Trump. And before um, my girlfriend and I left 
um, she sent me a text saying that someone she knew had been turned away. And so when we went to the board, I'm a U.S. citizen, yeah, so exactly. they had to let me in. But uh, I wasn't about to go without my girlfriend. Um, so we decided we would tell the border guards we were going shopping, yeah. which was Good partially idea. the truth. It was an alternate fact. It was accepted. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but that was the only negative in that the border guards, yeah. some of them, got some well, I mean, if you're, if you're Canadian and you're protesting American politics, mm-hmm. I, I don't, you don't belong there. You really don't. I mean, it is a problem for Americans to solve. It is their president. Like or not, if you don't like Trump or whatever he does worldwide on the worldwide stage, protest in the country you're at. Well, the, right? There was, and there was a protest in Vancouver as well. I mean, to, you know, to, to be, play devil's advocate. The power of Christ compels you! There could have been a question of security and whether or not Canadians might have been injured, you know, if there had been, an, um, you know, some some protest, protesters who decided to, you know, to get into um, some, some form of conflict with the, with the marchers and, mm-hmm. and so forth. But most of the Canadians really felt that the uh, Americans were, were were being unfairly unfairly targeting them, you know, and, and, and not you know, allowing the, them the in. And, and not only targeting them, but detaining them and asking them questions for hours that seemed to be more intrusive. In fact, one fellow um, who was detained was told he couldn't go back for the weekend, and if he wanted to go back into the States, he was going to have to get a visa to do so. Wow. So there were some heavy-handed... Uh, You're going to have to do more than that. That kind of thing is easy to ignore. Once you start blocking off routes, even trains, anything that costs the government money and a pain in the ass and an outcry, mm-hmm. you might have to just put 2,000 people on a railroad track or something like that. And they will stop, obviously, but just marching from point A to point B is very, very, very easy to ignore. Well, but this wasn't this wasn't a pro. This wasn't a. No, I know. It's more like a war. It's more like a warning. No, it's just a warning. Yeah. We are a force. We are watching. We will take action, you know. And there are enough of us to make a difference. So it, it was that. I think the protests are probably coming up. <laughs> you know, the, fu- the, the protests are mm-hmm. on the way, but this wasn't one. What of them. What you might not know is while you were doing this and we were doing the show, we uh, tried to call you. Mm-hmm. And yes, uh, I know. Th- yeah, you probably got the voicemail. Yeah, I left you a message. And unfortunately, but uh, we didn't get to you. But we did manage to tap your phone. Oh, okay. Uh, to hack on into your phone, and we actually heard your uh, strategy. So this is Nancy's strategy while she was marching. Crush your enemies. He's, <laughs> see them he's obsessed you. with that clip. They hear a lamentation of the women. <laughs> that totally sounds like Nancy's voice. <laughs> I know. I, I don't, you like my? Do you like my ability to do impressions? Yeah, yeah. that sounded almost good. like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> like, seriously, the, the getting a, the whole getting a permit for a protest thing just sounds contradictory in its yeah. nature, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. It's like, I, let's organize an anarchist group. And I don't think I don't think peaceful protest is necessarily the most effective way of doing things. We had some uh, racist professors at a university. I think it was in the 60s. It was in Montreal, though. And just basically trying to fail black people who were getting good marks. And they took over the university and destroyed the computer lab and all this stuff. And then the police ended up setting the place on fire themselves to kind of smoke them out, which Mm. you'd never be allowed to do today, and put a whole bunch of them in jail. But after that, they were very, very strict about keeping it in mind. You know what I mean? Like they took complaints seriously because when they didn't take them people the white people got together with them too and helped them it's probably predominantly black but they cost them a whole bunch of money by breaking in and taking over and destroying the computer lab and that stuff happened during martin luther king too right people always think martin luther king was anti-violence but he had a lot of followers that weren't. Yeah. There was also the Black Panthers. There was also Malcolm there's, X. There's a Malcolm X. You, for Malcolm X was very aggressive compared mm-hmm. to Martin well, Luther back, King. Back in the 60s, when <laughs> I was a member of, of Martin Luther King's group, the SC, as you realize, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SLZ. those of us who were active in the Fort Worth area were dedicated to, to peaceful, what, peaceful what, marching. What year were you pe- born in, Nancy? 1936. Yeah, a long time so ago. So you were like... 32 when Martin uh, Luther King got yeah, assassinated? Right, and yeah. I, I had a chance to go to Selma, but, but I had small children and didn't go. So we chose to have uh, a peaceful protest in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Just very quickly, the interesting thing 
about uh, our marching in, in Fort Worth was that the newspaper um, and all of the outlets in Fort Worth decided that they would not cover any protest marches or any anything that had to do with, with civil rights. So although we were there and we marched and we did everything we needed to do, a, a great majority of the population of Fort Worth and Dallas never realized that mm -hmm. there were protests because the not having any media effectively blacked out our, our ability to, uh, to to make a difference. Media is always the biggest player in this. Yeah. Well, getting back on track there, it's time for this day in history. Oh, wow. <clears throat> Putting a strain on my... Maybe I have to take that accent back. <laughs> okay, here we go. A roundup of those events and individuals that altered and illuminated the days between January 23rd to January 29th. Uh, January 23rd was National Pie Day in the States. They have national everything day. We ought to have a national something, you know, for our show. They have a new Patriots and Day established by Trump. I mean, aside from July 4th. And it which ruins is inaugurations yeah, forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. National um, God is Dead Day. How about yeah, that? Yeah. On January the 23rd um, in 1970, going back again for a while, Madeline Murray O'Hare, our favorite activist, Woohoo! Um, announced that she was going to start a new church. Uh, and she called the church Poor Richard's Universal Life Church, and she named it after her, her husband. And she proclaimed herself as the church's bishop and her husband the official prophet. And she had actual charter from the Universal Life Church of California, where she and her husband have an honorary doctor of divinity degrees. There are all, there were all <laughs> these churches online. Well, not there wasn't an online at that point, but they were by mail. They advertised, and you could get a divinity degree. You could get a sheriff's degree. You could get a law. You could get almost anything you wanted to. I believe our, our guest, Seth Andrews, is actually a reverend for the Church of Dudism. <laughs> it's, it's actually a thing. Yeah. So she, but when when she and her husband got these pseudo degrees, she said, "No, no, this is not a pseudo religion. This is going to be an earnest attempt to do something about the relationship of the church in this country." She said, "We can marry and divorce people, and we can administer sacraments and so forth." So she was a hundred percent serious when she talked to people about about the church and she said well, uh, here's the real reason she started the church she said she intended to take full advantage of every tax exemption <laughs> normally given without a second thought to churches and other religious groups that's right she said we're going to operate just as all the other churches do now the churches have told us a million times over and so is the federal government that atheism is a religion so we're going to accept it so she and her husband took oaths of poverty and turned all their property over to the church, at least she said they did. Um, and the church, uh, she did give some sermons and things like that in, in fun um, um, on the radio when they did it, but then she closed it uh, eight years later in 1978 when her, when her husband died. January 20th, but it was a fun thing for her for her to do tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Uh, January 26th is International Customs Day. And um, that day, in, in 1875, George F. Green of Kalamazoo, Michigan, patented the electric dental drill for sawing, filing, dressing, and polishing teeth. And it was described as an electric electromagnetic dental tool. So the reason I put that in was because I knew I could cause a collective shiver. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it. It just it made the ground shake under everybody's feet. <laughs> Sorry about that, but that was fun. Need to put a drill drop behind that. January the 27th. Now I'm going to get into it a little bit, so everybody hold on to your belt. January the 27th, which was Friday, was International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it has always been a very solemn day, and it has been a remembrance of what happened to the Jews during World War II and the attempt to exterminate them and the Nazis and so forth and so on. I've been um, told, I was told that never happened. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, in Comes May. Comes a teller, not necessarily knows. I left the valley, subsidiaries. Yeah, in May, 
1939, um, a ship called the SS St. Louis sailed from Hamburg to Havana. There were 900 passengers on that ship, a little over 900 passengers. They um, went to Havana, they were turned away. They came to Miami, they were turned away, and they were actually turned back. And some of them were, some of the passengers were accepted in Belgium and England, but many of them perished in concentration camps, over 200, about 250. Were, were, uh, were actually killed in the concentration camps. Because of that, because of the shame that the U.S. felt having turned that ship away and what prior to this, the Congress had turned down a bill to allow children from, uh, from Germany, Jewish children, to come to the United States for safety reasons, and Congress turned them down. Jeez. Children under 14, they turned those down. Seriously? After what? after the world after World War II ended, um, they um, the U.S. revised immigration policies to prevent inhuman rejection until yesterday, and that's mm. when Trump, the morning of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, issued a statement of first of all he issued a statement of remembrance without mentioning the Jews whatsoever. They're not even mentioned, and then. He closed the door on refugees for 120 days and those from Syria indefinitely. But minority Christians are exempt and will be allowed of course. to come in. <laughs> Did you hear about the guy For Trump to have done this on International Holocaust Remembrance Day is so callous, so immoral, and so yeah. lacking in compassion that I don't know whether there's anything that that man can ever do. To, what to what make did you up say, Swansky? Oh, it's just uh, there was a guy who wore like a Nazi swastika to one of those like to the remembrance ceremonies, and he got beaten up. Not surprising. There's well, a huge sure. debate about it online. It's like, yeah, he should have gotten beat up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like wearing a shirt that says some sexist comment about women or some bad comment about going to anyway not to not to, not to end on a totally bad note um, on January the 28th it marks the uh, 100th anniversary of the women's right to vote in Canada and generally when we've done this little segment before mm -hmm. we've always pointed out the various countries <laughs> that still yes. don't have the women's vote Did you say 1917 uh, 100 years January 20, 100 yeah 100 Since years 1917 yeah, really? women's right to vote in Canada. In Canada, really? Right. Oh, wow. Well, well yeah, yes yeah. and no. I mean, it was passed federally, but it's, the provinces adopted that much later. Some of the provinces, like Quebec, was the last one right. to adopt it, I believe it was 1948. Well, that's really late. Wow, yeah. that's still pretty, yeah, I guess. So, <laughs> so one, of, one of the countries that we've always pointed out was that's Saudi point, Arabia, Saudi where Arabia. the women got the right to vote in 2015. So I wondered what happened to those women. I don't think they've been through an election yet. They have. They've been through. Oh, they? They, they, they've been through an election. They can run for office, but they can't come. They can't campaign, and they have to keep all the other restrictions that were there. But an interesting thing has happened in that a documentary called "Ladies First was made last year by Times um, video journalist named Mona El Nagar, and she takes viewers inside Saudi Arabia to witness the ultra-conservative. Um, elections that have taken place. So anybody that wants to go on YouTube can download Ladies First, which is a nice. documentary for I that. I saw a more recent one, I think. Countries holding out are still Brunei, Lebanon, United Arab Emirates, and unless Pope Francis, the real Pope Francis, <laughs> Pope Francis. has made a special announcement, the mm -hmm. Vatican still doesn't, doesn't do it. And that, dear listeners, brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasional bizarre, and sometimes a rant, and people <laughs> that make up this day in history. Thank, Thank you, Nancy. you, Nancy. Tyler, you were saying something there before we just finished that segment? I was probably saying a lot of things, but uh, <laughs> re re regarding the Holocaust thing, I encourage people to YouTube Michael Shermer and Alan. I can't remember the guy's last name. It doesn't matter. It'll still come up. And uh, it's called Denying History, and it's an interview with German who did the book. Who they did a whole bunch of research on the Holocaust and just absolutely slaughtered every single Holocaust denial 
possible claim. It's fantastic. Mm. Michael Shermer did an amazing, amazing, amazing job. Okay. Completely debunking every angle of the Holocaust and all. So. Well, before we go to our uh, to pause and to our guests, let's do things that make you go. You got a nice little story for you guys. Should be fun. You steal more stuff from the gym. No, 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 that's not it. That's the confession oh, segment. Oh, confessions, yeah. That's not the same thing. You guys ever heard of Goop? Yeah. Goop. Goop. Goop is, uh, it's gone a little too far. Goop is Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle blog. Okay, no. <laughs> maybe not. Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, she's pretty eccentric. And her blog recommends that women put jade eggs up their vaginas to strengthen the pelvic floor muscles and improve their sex life. Well, it's Kegels, yeah. Yeah, Kegels. Exactly. Yeah. The jade eggs, a.k.a. yoni eggs, are basically jade stones, if you wish, uh, garnered even more attention when Portia Williams and Shema Morton tried them out in a recent episode of Real Housewives of Atlanta. But doctors are saying, no, you shouldn't put a rock up your lady parts. Mm. So the bizarre trend star- started when Goop posted the article earlier this month called Better Sex Jade Eggs for Your Yoni. <laughs> in which actresses and uh, beauty blogger Shiva Rose answered question about the practice. She claims that the yoni eggs, yoni means womb or sacred place, uh, are strictly guarded secrets of Chinese royalty, <laughs> and that fans say regular uh, use will increase your chi, your orgasms, your vaginal muscle tone, your chakras, your, mm. yeah, your chakras, hormonal yeah. balance, feminine energy. Gotcha, yeah. So the article says that women of any age, <laughs> once sexually active, can benefit from the egg, and that the key is regular daily practice. And even points out some women prefer to sleep with the egg in. Okay. You, find, you just find the weirdest shit, don't you? Oh, I do. Okay, <laughs> didn't Gwyneth Paltrow, like, name her kid Apple? No, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure she did, so I'm just going to add hom and her right now and say, don't listen to anybody who names your kid Apple. So apparently they're for sale for about 55 to $66. Um, well, I'll talk about hard-boiled trans, eh? Vagina <laughs> rocks? <laughs> like, I've heard of Ben Wobbles and stuff, and I, I wouldn't see the, the detriment if it's properly constructed and, like... You know, like made of surgical grade steel or something. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's, well, first of all, it's jade. It's jade is you know, it's like a glass. Yeah, but then what happens when it's not tonight, honey? I prefer the egg. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there's several weird things about Gwyneth Paltrow, if I remember. I don't remember if she's an anti-vaxxer or just one of those big organic pushers, but she's pretty well known. Yeah, she's she's, she's been known some, to you some quackery beliefs, steam her vagina and stuff like that. She's got a whole bunch of quackeries like that. I would never sleep with. Anybody who has eggs. Well, first of all, you can't, you can't, no, because they're, they're rocks, right? And you can't sleep with somebody with rocks unless you have paper or uh, scissors. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, I think she was, I think she was Brad Pitt's wife in the movie Seven. Am I correct? Yes. Yes, yes she was. Yes, yeah, she was. So, so <laughs> all right. So, thank you so much, guys. So, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with Seth Andrews. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Center. Please visit our website for more details at bchumanist.ca. Hi, I'm the Supreme Irreverend Dr. Randy Tyson from the Legion of Reason Diversion. Join me and my co-hosts, Christine Shelska, Twyla, and Nate Phelps, as we explore issues at the intersection of atheism, humanism, and skepticism. Topics range from alternative medicine to the interference of religion in public policy. We often have special guests to help us understand the topic du jour. Previous guests include biologist Jerry Coyne, ex-Muslim author Ali Rizvi, philosopher Peter Bogosian, and the late physicist Victor Stanger. You can watch us on the Legion of Reason YouTube channel or subscribe to the audio version through your favorite podcatchers such as iTunes or Stitcher. And don't forget to like the Legion of Reason Facebook page. Here's an excerpt from Our Constitution, The Way It Was by Dr. Madeleine O'Hare. Seemingly, no one knew just what to do. There was no clear-cut program. Some wanted to try to continue to negotiate with the British government. Others wanted to continue the armed revolt in the hopes of forcing the king and parliament to remedy their grievances. 
There was no one, apparently, who had the vision to call for complete severance of all political ties with Britain and to found a new nation. The situation remained stalemated until the end of the year. Then, in January 1775, Thomas Paine's pamphlet, Common Sense, came off the press. It was like a fresh wind clearing away a fog. In the simple yet forceful language that characterizes all his writings, Paine showed the absurdity of continuing a relationship of colonies to a mother country. Why, he asked, should the colonies, already peopled with three million inhabitants and destined to expand to cover a vast continent, be ruled from a small island 3,000 miles away? Why continue to be subjects of a tyrant king when the way was open to be citizens of a free republic? This pamphlet spread like wildfire. The small presses of the time could not keep up with the demand. Hundreds of thousands of copies were issued and penetrated to every colony in a short time. Paine's arguments were unanswerable. They left no middle ground. All talk of compromise and further petitions to Parliament died out. Find this audiobook and many more at AtheistAudiobooks.com. I don't know where the lights are taking us, but something in the night is dangerous. And nothing's holding back the two of us. Baby, let's just get serious. Oh, 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 oh. dangerous. Oh, 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 oh. Show me your soul, I gotta know. Best that you're beautiful inside. Okay, our next guest was a Christian broadcaster who became host of the biggest atheist podcast out there. His velvety voice and quick wit is sure to turn you into a fan. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer, Seth Andrews, ladies and gentlemen. Seth, welcome. Welcome to the show. I can't live up to that introduction. That's just too good. Thank you. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Oh, we're thrilled to have you. Thanks for coming. Yes, thank you. Snappy dresser is going on a business card. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Putting that on a business card. Seth, uh, of course, most of our audience are non-believers and atheists, and they know you simply by reputation. But uh, we actually do have a segment of our uh, audience that does not, uh, are, are not believers, are not uh, free thinkers, are not atheists. They might not know you. Would you be so kind to give us the Seth Andrews stories? Yeah, just in a nutshell, I was born, I mean, I'm an Oklahoma resident, which if you live um, outside of you know the United States, you may be thinking... You know, what, where, and the truth is, just think church. The power of Christ compels you! <laughs> I live in the Bible Belt. We have hundreds upon hundreds of Christian churches in this city. We have two major religious universities in this city. I think the third, um, I think Tulsa University is also privately owned by religious people. Um, it's Jesus Town, is what I call it. That's where I was born to devoutly religious parents. My folks were not. Sunday Christians, they were hardcore. Uh, they met at Oral Roberts University. They honeymooned in Jerusalem because they wanted mm -hmm. to go. I guess they wanted to spend their honeymoon with Jesus. I mean, it's just like that's just how hardcore they, they <laughs> let's go to Galilee. Let's go. Let's go to the Holy Lands. That's their idea of a honeymoon. My mother, a Greek New Testament study uh, guide author and a Greek New Testament teacher for decades. Wow. And uh, I you know, I just was raised in the cocoon of Christianity. We had Christian schools. I was in Christian schools from uh, fourth grade through my graduation. Don't! You know, I was surrounded, listened to Christian music. I had Christian friends. Uh, we, you know, we had, we memorized Christian verses. We did Christian stuff. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I became a Christian radio host in, I think I started in 1990. Mm -hmm. And I was in Christian radio for about a dozen years. A decade of that was with KXOJ Radio in Tulsa, one of the most popular and successful Christian radio stations in the United States. And I was all in. I was a true believer. And it's funny, I sort of came late to my doubts. I finally started to be honest with myself when I began to you know, hear that alarm bell of doubt in the back of my skull. And it was around the age of 37, I finally decided to start asking hard questions and not take just go with it, just have faith, just trust Jesus as a suitable answer. It was a video by Christopher Hitchens that really sort of spurred me along. I just stumbled upon it on YouTube, and before I knew it, I was on this journey. And by the time I hit November, December of 2008, I realized and said out loud I was an atheist. 
and I was alone. You know, I just didn't know anybody. I didn't have any atheist friends. All my family and friends thought I was out of my mind or I was going through midlife or whatnot. And so to sort of vent a little bit about the decades I'd wasted and to find community, I created one. And it's called The Thinking Atheist. The Thinking Atheist isn't a person. It's an idea that we reject faith and we embrace reason. You know, we we want to think about the challenges and opportunities before us. The website started in 2009. I did a radio show. I started radio podcasting in 2010. And I don't know how we rank, you know, in terms of podcast overall, but I've, I've been very fortunate and very happy with the success we've had. We've got more than 40, I think, 42 million total downloads. Yeah, you're and, just a little um, bit below you know, More us, than though. 300 shows. <laughs> so that's kind of my story in a nutshell. You know, I, I came late to skepticism. I came late to non-belief. But I'm here, you know, for what it's worth. And I think we're all doing what we can to try to encourage other people and further the conversation out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, just like Tyler was saying, what was that title you were saying? Oh, just that... Uh, it's 42 you, million downloads? Yeah, you, you rank pretty high up there. I think you're just a couple behind us. <laughs> <laughs> No, just I'm kidding. sure you guys are right on my heels. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Seth, for joining us, and he's going to be staying with us. But right now, we're going to do, be doing another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. Guys, did you hear that story about this Ohio man and his son that are using the Bible to defend themselves in court yeah. against multiple charges of rape, kidnapping, and endangering children? Deuteronomy, I think. This is via the Washington Post. Uh, 53-year-old Timothy Ciboro and his 28-year-old son, Esten, have been uh, allowed to use the Bible as their main piece of evidence to defend themselves against accusations that they kidnapped and raped several underage girls at their home in Toledo, Ohio, over the span of several years. Quote, there's a great deal of strategy in scripture, and I use these, those strategies in everything I do, Estenza Sibiro told the court last week when explaining why he and his father should be allowed to use the Bible in court as part of the defense. Jeez, guys, who wants to take a bet with me right now? This is not going to fly. <laughs> hmm. How are they doing so far? Actually, <laughs> actually, today, uh, I saw on Patios today, just before we did the recording, that they were, they've been found guilty, and I believe the father's going to... Yeah, prison for 71 years or something like that. Do you think that's enough for them to give up religion? you think that's their aha moment? I don't know. <laughs> moment? Seth, Seth, you're an American. You, you tell me. Uh, you think the Bible is a viable option in the, in the, in the defense of uh, American justice? I'm, I would be terrified. You know, I'm terrified every time anyone swears on an oath on the Bible because I think to myself, if you only realized, maybe you do, you realize what you're swearing upon. I don't know. I, I myself, it's funny how people approach the Bible. I'm airing an interview in a few weeks with Bart Campolo, who's the son of famous evangelist Tony Campolo, mm. who is, I mean, Bart is now a non-believer and is secular chaplain in California. Woo-hoo! And he's, you know, he's got a great perspective on the Bible. He's like, you know, I can make the Bible do anything I want. Like, you want to be anti-woman, you want to shut a woman up, we can use the Bible for that. You want to be pro-woman and lift a woman up, put her on a pedestal, we can use the Bible for that. You want me to be anti-slavery, I can use the Bible. If you want me to be pro-slavery, I can use the Bible. It's like silly putty. You can just sort of mold it into whatever it needs to be. It's a great book to 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 cherry pick, eh? you know. Well, it's a great, it's a great analogy. Because it's not one book, it's a shitload of books. Holy shit balls. If you count the Old <laughs> Testament and the New Testament. Well, of course, we all you know, we know the Bible obviously is is there's a divine hand on it. Did you guys read that article, that story? I guess it was a few days ago in uh, Hattiesburg, Mississippi. There was a an EF3 tornado that plowed into William Carey University, just ripped the place to shreds, including the chapel on campus. And so the whole place is shredded. And, oh, look, right here on a pedestal, open to the book of Psalms, they find a Bible untouched. And the local news just ran with this story. You know, they're calling it a sign. They're calling it a miracle. WDAM television did this story about how it's it's just so wonderful. There's this photograph (laughs) of the Bible. Amidst the chapel that God did nothing to protect. You know, I think to myself, God's got a priority problem. You yeah, know, the look, Gideons I can replace gives us the Bible for, for about 10 bucks. I can, I can replace it monogrammed for 12. <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you torch the Bible and save the chapel? Because that's going to be a whole lot more money out of my pocket. Well, <laughs> don't you know the saying, lightning rods on churches? Oh, yeah? yeah why think, are they there? It reveals think, an alarming lack of faith. It's I, absolutely true. I think during the 
Renaissance and whatnot, I think somewhere in Europe in like the 1600s or the 1700s, doesn't matter. It was Sunday, church, packed, earthquake, killed a shitload of people. <laughs> and the survivors were like, huh, you know, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it is kind of just, you know, shit happens. You know, when I'm people like, tell me about God's master plan and his intelligent design, I'm always like, yeah, thanks, thanks, God, for the sinkholes and the tsunamis and the sun gives us cancer and all the stuff. I mean, this whole planet's just a meat grinder for yeah. the <laughs> Well, without that stuff, so, would we yeah, really I totally appreciate understand it? your point. Would we appreciate, like, when it's going good if we didn't have the bad? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Devil's advocate. No, I like, whenever, whenever they talk about God and money, I like to quote one of my favorite uh, philosophers of all time, Homer Simpson. Woohoo! Yes. And he says, you know, if God needs money, why did he just write another Bible? The first one sold pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Seth, um, tell me something. Um, your show, uh, when your show originated, uh, were you in an angry phase? Because it, you you had sort of recently deconverted, no? Yeah, I... I you know, you does know, that you can phase? see a temperature change in a lot of my work. I was I did a lot more video production back then because I I had more time and you know the the radio show I think I did bi-weekly and and I was also just oh, I was barely sleeping. I was I was so I don't know how to how to describe this, but I was so adrenalized coming out of my faith and thinking if people only knew what I've discovered recently with more objective analysis of the scriptures, they would be fascinated by it and certainly they would run screaming from all of the horrible ideas that they never realized before was in the bible i'm going to produce as much as i can and i'm going to lampoon Christ christianity like it deserves to be i'm going to go show the world <laughs> and they'll all rally together and we'll all have la i mean i was that naive right and of course nobody cared <laughs> when i went to them with my challenges and questions they just doubled down and they kind of gave me that mannequin stare and then i I was angry. I was angry because I felt like, you know, you guys are the one who are supposed to meet the burden of proof. I've got religious family, religious parents. I'm even now estranged from, you know, religions cost me a relationship with my mother and father. Mm, you know, yes. We have a tenuous sort of a, you know, it's, it's, if you can call it a relationship, we see each other at Thanksgiving and Christmas and we smile and under the surface is a tremendous sort of a undercurrent of shame and and embarrassment and condescension, that kind of stuff. That's because um, they think atheism I felt like I'd wasted a lot of time. I, uh, I felt like nobody was listening. And so my stuff did have a harder edge back then. I was, you know, I produced the story of Susie, which was pretty, it was pretty hard on Christians. I produced uh, uh, Noah's Ark, God, Giraffes, and Genocide, which oh, I still on. enjoy today. But I mean, all my stuff was a bit more biting and sarcastic. And what happened is, is after a, a few years, I finally began to calm down. And now I'm a, a little more generous about those who hold to faith, most people who hold to faith. I just see them as victims. I call them victims of bad ideas. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm not the, you have to be stupid to believe this, because honestly, I believed it on the order of decades. And I, of all people, should know how indoctrination works and how cultural reinforcement works and how belief perseverance works. And, uh, you know, I myself then realized that telling someone they're an idiot or believing this stuff is not the best way to change their minds, but approaching them whenever possible with compassion and empathy and understanding and a genuine desire to help really seems to go a lot further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was angry for a while, but and I have my moments even today. But overall, I've, I've calmed myself a little bit. Well, you know, people who, who have never lived in the South, I lived in Dallas for a, for a long time, and it's very, very similar between... Dallas and Oklahoma City, there are a lot, a lot of parallels. And when you grow up in that kind of atmosphere, you really don't know that another world of science and reason exists. I mean, you, you go to school as a child, and you, you hear about science, and you learn about those things, but it's not your core existence. Every adult that you come in contact with is one who's reinforcing that religious view and that religious outlook. And if there's anyone who disagrees with that, you hear your parents tearing them down. And those are your adults. Those are your authorities, not the not the teachers. So for you to have been in that that atmosphere and to have had that reinforcement for so long, of course you were angry, and of course you wanted to tell everybody 
coming out of it. That's that's the kind of journey that you're on. But it's very difficult to explain that to people who have lived in Chicago or New York, where there was the diversity, and they could probably find anybody on the on the same block where they lived to be able to talk with them about non-religious matters and about things that you know we didn't learn or you didn't learn until you were in in your in your 30s it's it's um, it, it's it's quite a ways for you know to go from a little neighborhood in uh, in Oklahoma and suddenly be exposed i guess the the internet and the radio and the media are, are religion's greatest uh, opposition because that's that's where that's where the where you you finally get a channel to the truth yeah but have you guys seen the brain scan differences on people that are religious I mean, it registers in the limbic system. So you can be really smart and really cerebral, as we call it, like people like Francis Collins and Kenneth Miller, very, very smart people when they're using their neocortex. But as soon as the limbic system kicks in, the emotional part of the brain where you're thinking about death and your kids dying and never being able to see them again, therefore heaven is kind of awesome because you get to spend an eternity with your kids, right? That part just takes over. So you do have smart people that believe stupid shit. And then obviously, you know, Seth came around, which is funny. Maybe it's biological, but they pretty much did everything possible to convert him into no, but a Jewel a, Osteen. He didn't turn out that way. No, it's a good question to ask Seth. Uh, Seth, Seth, do you believe that uh, a lot of people are, are claiming right now you cannot reason somebody that hasn't been reasoned into faith. You can't reason them out. Where do you stand on that issue? Do you, do you feel that that's a, that's a true statement? I was reasoned out of my faith. There we go. Well, I was talking to Matt Dillahunty about this, you know. He was reasoned out of his faith. He, he was presented with reasonable things, and it took a while, but... You know, I, I, I don't like the idea that you'll never reason someone out of something they weren't reasoned into to begin with because I, I think, yeah, I was reasoned out of my faith. That's one of the reasons I'm a non-believer. It's, you know, it's um, Matt, uh, Michael Shermer and I did, uh, for those who don't know, he's a psychologist and founder of Skeptic Magazine, and he's done a lot of high-profile discussions and debates with people like Deepak Chopra and whatnot. <laughs> you know? yeah. And... Um, He's done a lot of work on belief in the brain. And we did a show together, and I think uh, his book is similarly titled, Why Smart People Believe Stupid Things. Weird thing. And you know, he had an interesting take that it's often the really intelligent that are the best at outsmarting themselves. Like, you can invent a tremendous mechanism for rationalization if you're clever enough. You can find a way in and through the nonsensical and the immoral if you're clever enough. And while Dr. Ryan Cragen down at the University of Tampa has some research which seems to indicate that largely overall there is a higher intelligence factor among the non-religious, um, there are a lot of really smart people out there who have compartmentalized or they've just used their wits to rationalize what is probably an inherited faith. And it's interesting to watch him work, you know. And then you look at it, you just want to grab them by the shoulders and shake them and say, how can, you're a smart person, how can you still believe this? Mm. And the truth is, the fact is, in many cases, they just outsmarted themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, they have, a, they have what um, Dale McGowan calls is a greater desire to believe than they have to know. Yes. And you but, know, in my own life, I had to come to a point when my desire to know simply became greater than my desire to believe, and it opened up my whole world. That that 1984, double speak. That depends, on your think. that depends on your definition of intelligent, and we always seem to find some type of disagreement there. The most simple way I've put it is the opposite of gullible. I mean, you can... I'm, I'm sorry, I'm having a difficult hearing everyone but Kevin. So let me ask you to rephrase or restate the opposite of what? The opposite of gullible is being a skeptic, which I would consider to be intelligent because you can know and memorize a lot of stuff that you've read, documentaries. You can have a lot of knowledge that you memorized and still be a fucking idiot and still fall for the dumbest shit. There are Mensa members out there who believe in parapsychology and global warming is a hoax, and they believe in astrology. And these are Mensa people with an IQ of 170. Well, once you find somebody who has an IQ of 170 and subscribes to a whole bunch of stupid shit like that, I think the definition of intelligence kind of goes out the window. 
Yeah, that's fair, I guess. That's fair. Uh, Seth, you were pretty much the... Um, I, I like, I like to, to, to think of you as, you know, there was the, the first generation of atheists in modern times, like the, the Four Horsemen. And when you came along with your show, I like to think that you were pretty much the starting point of the second generation after these guys. Do you feel you, you started a trend with your show? Because now there's a lot of atheist shows, including this, this very one. Oh, I, I don't know. I, you know, I can't speak to, I mean, others would have to speak to how much I actually provided any sort of influence. I, I, part so of me thinks I just sort of jumped in at, at the time when radio, you know, internet radio was beginning its surge. So, you know, if there are 100 atheist podcasts out there, I certainly can't take credit for anyone other than my own. I think a lot of people were just simply becoming aware of the technology that existed that circumvented these AM, FM radio entities, you know, it used to be radio was locked up. If you weren't working for the corporate machine or you were rich enough to buy your own station, you never had a radio show. But of course, the Internet has given voice to anybody and everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think I might have just sort of been there at the right place at the right time. And I also showed up at a time when. And it's not as, as nearly as bad now, but it, when I first began the show, we were a movement in desperate need of storytellers. We had a lot of data. Yes. You know, you could hear Victor Stenger give a talk on these hard scientific issues, and you could read about evolutionary biology, and, you know, you'd see lectures on YouTube, and these, when someone brings a beta cam and sticks it on the back wall as the speaker's way off here, talking in clinical terms under fluorescent lighting, you know. And, you know, we needed story. People want, want to be taken on a journey. People want you to paint pictures with words. People want to feel like you're relating to them. And uh, then they will take the journey with you. And one thing I felt like I was able to bring to the table was that I, I'm a storyteller. I mean, I came from the business of, of, of audio and then video storytelling. I was a video producer for 10 years. And, mm -hmm. and uh, to be able to use language in a way that you know relates to people. And people admire Dawkins and they admire Dennett and they admired... Victor Stenger, and all, but they relate to me. Yeah. I'm just some guy who says, I don't know all the answers. I'm just struggling to keep up. I just want to find out whatever's true. I'm When I bring a guest on, there's a good chance I may know the answer to the question before I ask it, and there's just as good a chance. I don't have the first clue what the answer is. That's why I'm asking, right? <laughs> and people then feel like we're shoulder to shoulder taking the journey together, and that has seemed to resonate with people, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, have there been people who've been influenced by, by the work? I, I hope it's made a positive impact in their lives. You know, I, I hope that it's making a difference. Otherwise, it's just useless. You know, it's just white noise. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to encourage people. I want people to be emboldened that their life is theirs to live. I want people to feel like uh, it's okay to live their own lives and it's okay to ask questions. And, and maybe they've taken some cues from some of the formatics. I, I don't know. But I certainly hope it's made some waves out there. I got two questions from people that okay. I kind of polled from my groups and one was is he a skeptic in other regards not just God and where does he stand you mean for Seth if you yeah 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 and where does he stand politically kind of left right center okay uh, the, the question is a uh, twofold Seth the first question is are you a skeptic as to other uh, parts of your life not just in regards to God and question two is where do you stand politically well I, I mean I hope I am <laughs> you were all probably um, victims of bias. I'm doing a show in March with Dr. Elizabeth Loftus that talks about like human memory and bias in the brain, and, and I'm just kind of hot off that. I, I realize we're all biased, impressionable creatures. You can't handle the truth! Um, I did find, once I emerged from the fog of superstition, that I had to reevaluate a bunch of other stuff at the same time. Like, I, all of a sudden, I thought, well, wait a minute. Now, if I was if I was wrong or I assumed about this, uh, maybe I should reevaluate that. And so I started going point by point through the different sort of convictions I had in my life, and I found myself taking a new position. I used to be pro death penalty. Yeah, me and too. And now I'm very much against it. I used to be a political conservative, and now while I'm conservative on a few issues, largely I identify as a Democrat. I'm a Democrat and and a liberal and. You know, I'm I used to be uh, uh, and against abortion in, in pretty much every case. And now I'm totally pro-choice. I used to be anti-gay marriage and now I'm totally pro-LGBT. 
you know, it's it's interesting when you are no longer chained to dogma. You know, you're no longer sort of shackled with the indoctrination that that was given to you at, at youth and carried with you through life. When you're no longer absolutely sure because God wants it that way, mm-hmm. you start to look at things again and and you you know you make a change. And I think that's healthy. It was healthy for me to to start to look at the world differently. And what's funny now is that I look around, I see people who talk in my circles exactly the way I did. And, uh, but they're reinforced all the time. They go to Sunday church and they, they get reinforced. They watch Fox news and listen to Michael Savage and Rush Limbaugh and they get reinforced and they have really little idea about the other perspectives that are out there. They're in a kind of a feedback loop of this righteous indignation about the state of the world and and they're you know often very judgmental people i used to be that way so yeah i used to be a glenn beck listening to fox news watching <laughs> republican and now i'm kind of a heathen liberal progressive you know mm-hmm. but are you and the better and the better for it okay well there seem to be some common conspiracy theories amongst the left versus right i don't have any strange scientific unmainstream super beliefs but I'm just wondering about you, like, regarding, like, the common ones, like GMOs and vaccines specifically. Because those tend to be well, the I, ones. you know, I was I didn't have much of a perspective on vaccines. I certainly was. I didn't know much about them. And, and I was more trepidatious about them. GMOs was one I had to come back and apologize for. You know, I was like, I, I used well. to be anti GMO because, oh, it can't be good. And of course, I hadn't read a lick of science about it. <laughs> the naturalistic yeah. fallacy. Yeah, totally, totally. Bill, Bill Nye changed his mind like a year or two ago. Did you guys see that? Mm-hmm. He came out and just straight up said, I was wrong about GMOs. Yes, yes, we did see that from, so, uh, from Bill. Yeah. And I say the same thing to you, Francis, because you're just worried about corruption. <laughs> <laughs> Seth, uh, with uh, now your <clears throat> President Trump, uh, what do you think the impact of his presidency are going to be on atheism in the future? You know, I, I struggle a little bit with it because every political you know, sort of a cycle, we hear people speaking in hyperbole, you know, about the best and the worst and uh, things are going to hell in a handbasket and I'm terrified of the future and blah, blah, blah. And so, um, you know, it's hard for me to to say the words without them just splashing up against people who who've heard it about every candidate, you know, but I, in my own life, I'm, I've never been as, I've never been as frightened for the United States as I am at this moment. And I don't think it's hyperbole to, to fear kind of this weird, um, nationalist authoritarian Orwellian kind of thing. I mean, we're already seeing the executive orders. We're seeing the playing to our most shallow fears, you know, and, uh, a celebrity culture, an entertainment culture that knows very little about the world it lives in, but it's afraid and it just wants someone to handle it. I'm preparing a broadcast for the date of the State of the Union address where I'm going to give a secular State of the Union. We're going to talk about the administration and, you know, it's sort of the anti-science culture that's being populated, you know, with Betsy DeVos and mm-hmm. you got Carson who's a pediatric neurosurgeon being appointed to housing. The guy once thought that the pyramids were built for the biblical Brains. Joseph to store the brain. I mean, it's just terrifying to see the, the popularization of and the celebration of anti-science culture. Uh, to see, you know, the, the uh, closing of channels, the gagging of the EPA, the hamstringing of NASA climate science. Yeah, I'm 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 scared. I'm genuinely scared. I don't know that we can last four years of this. Something's going to have to come to critical mass. Seth, do you want to hear my little Dunning-Kruger? Go ahead. I have the solution here. So one of the things that I've been trying to promote since I've noticed that the conspiracy theories, the belief in God, the belief in all these weird pseudo-scientific things... If you really trace the source, it comes down to logical fallacies. So we found this book. It's called The uh, Illustrated Book of Bad Arguments. It goes through probably about 28, I think, of the most common logical fallacies. It's kind of geared towards kids a little bit, probably a little older, kind of like magic of reality, 10 or 12, that kind of thing. I think that's kind of the solution to preventing these people from ending up believing this stuff is 
starting it in high schools before these people become fucking voters because that's how they fell for fake news. Just all we need to do is in- include identifying reliable and unreliable sources like citing a paper for university with fake news and logical fallacies. I am yet to hear an argument for God, anti-vaccine, anti-GMO, Holocaust denial that is not based on a logical fallacy. So we well, need to if, you, that. if you are cultivating young people with the tools for how to think instead of what to think, and you realize religion having it in its own interest to propagate, and how do you do that? Well, you make sure that you provide a reinforcement culture where the kid is always seeing and speaking and hearing and doing a specific thing that lines up with your worldview. So I, mean, I love the idea of providing a sort of an expose of the logical fallacies, but I think it's also important that we be fostering a culture where they're taught how to think critical thinking skills oh, yeah. and the courage to ask questions in the face of authority. Yeah, you'll, you'll be happy to hear, actually, that uh, up here in Canada, especially here in the province of BC, it is now part of the curriculum that uh, kids will start being uh, taught uh, critical thinking skills. Yeah, and you know what? They're going to suck at it, well. and we're going to have to get on their <laughs> it's ass. It's a start. It's a start, dude. Come on. <laughs> yeah, they are going to suck at it. I looked at the plans, and their plan literally was uh. teach the kids more critical thinking. There was no actual curriculum. <laughs> the comments of Tyler are not necessarily those of Lenten Valley, Sicilian. <laughs> and- <laughs> I've heard Christians, you know, they're like, well, I've taught my child. It's usually a defensive parent. I've taught my child to critically think, and we went through a critical analysis of the Scripture. Got in our home yeah, school, and my child now knows even more that Jesus is. Oh yeah, I, I, I stop and, t- and shake my head because I I think this is the ever moving goalpost, right? Without exactly. specifics to the program, exactly how is it managed? If you can't measure it, how do you manage it, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Seth, I got. There's one thing I gotta. I gotta confess one thing to you, Seth. It's, this has been eating in me for a long time now. Ever since I first met you at Imaginal Religion Four. Seth, uh, I, I, I'm a francophone, which means sometimes I trip onto, onto my words. And uh, you were so kind to grant us an interview a couple of years ago. And uh, we played the interview on our show. And I said to everybody that Seth is, what I wanted to say is Seth is a big fan of coffee. Every time I see Seth, actually, I make a point of actually stopping and bringing coffee. But the thing is, in French, in my mind, right, my, my brain kind of twisted halfway, the word fan translates to amateur. See where I'm going with this? So I call fan I, I call Seth an amateur of coffee. <laughs> and it's been eating at me for years, Seth. So I'm so sorry. I apologize. I hope you could forgive me. No, hey, I went over my head, you know. I must <laughs> must have gotten the what you were trying to communicate, you know. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> So thank That's you so much good. for your time, Seth. I, I appreciate your time you've given us to us. But this, the mic is all yours, my friend. Be shameless. Go ahead and plug yourself. <laughs> well, if um, you know, I I don't. You know, it's it's hard. I I um, I've put a lot into the radio show, and I've I've tried. I I really treat every week almost like a, a, it's an audio book. I mean, you know, I I don't just I try not to just open the mic and well, let's just kind of see what comes up. We literally. I, I put a theme on the show. We tackle something. We try to tackle something different, a themed or topic-driven show every week. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we talk about everything from major religions like Catholicism and, you know, we get into the Book of Mormon and we've talked about Scientology and we've talked about cults and people who've escaped cults. We we talk about psychology and belief in the brain. We've done pro-science shows with you know, a hard data, an actual evolutionary biologist that teaches science and teaches evolution to people to sort of combats the bad ideas about evolution. We've done lifestyle stuff about people escaping religious families and the price they pay. We've gotten into the historicity of Jesus and the problems with the Bible and other holy books and ex ex-Muslims and ex-Islamists and people oppressed by Islam. And we just do something different. Sometimes we just we just do something just for fun. I did a show a few weeks ago called My Date with Google. We just we just did general knowledge stuff. You know, why do do why does my dog smell when I give him a bath? Hey, should I actually put premium unleaded in my car instead of unleaded? Because I sure would like to save the money and just those kind of things, right? We're about knowledge. And so I I'm really proud of the variety that the show's provided. I want to make it about real life and and stuff that's fun to listen to whenever possible. And 
And we've got some cool stuff on the horizon. Again, Bart Campolo is going to join me. We're going to do that show on how to trick our memory with Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. That's coming up. I'm doing a secular State of the Union mid-February on the very date that Donald Trump's going to do his own State of the Union. We're going to do a secular version for the radio listeners, kind of, my, kind of a manifesto <laughs> for a secular <laughs> nation. Yeah. Um, it was just a lot of good stuff. And, and uh, the website's got other materials. You can just go to thethinkingatheist.com and it's all right there. And, and I mostly I just appreciate the opportunity to be able to hang out with you guys and to uh, you know spend a few minutes with people who don't think I'm going through midlife or in league <laughs> with Lucifer. So it's been a real joy and a pleasure. Thank you. Seth, one more thing before I let you go. Can I get you to say, hi, I'm Seth Andrew of The Thinking Atheist and I took a lift at the valley. Hi, I'm Seth Andrews. I'm host of thethinkingatheist.com, and I took a left at the valley. And that was Seth Andrews, the one, the only Seth Andrews. Thank you so much, Seth, for joining us on the show. Thank you to all of us for joining us on the show today. We hope we were good and entertaining for all of you. You can, if you like what we're doing, you can give us a five-star review on iTunes. That would certainly help us a lot. If you're not going to do that, well, don't bother then. Uh, you can uh, find us on Facebook, on Twitter, on iTunes, on Block Talk Radio, on Spreaker, on SoundCloud, or you can follow us at leftofthevalley.com. Coming up, we will be talking to Michael Smith of the Poorly Summarized Podcast. That should be interesting. And in the uh, February or March, we'll also be talking to Mr. Deedee, Brian Keith Dalton. That should be fun. And we also have Cara Santa Maria of the uh, skeptics guide theme and uh, she's a science communicator so that should be a lot of fun thank you so much guys for being with us today until next time intelligent people can reach the conclusion that all non-believers are evil what a fucked up statement do you realize what you're saying but according to your book this is how your god made me skeptical of anything that contradicts history denies evolution hates science promotes mystery i'd rather see the truth than to bask in my own ignorance rather be alone than surrounded by damn isn't real, but Jesus is, or Zeus, Thor, Mithra, Vishnu, you don't believe in them, I think the reason is apparent, you do what you're told, and believe in the God assigned by your parents, I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it, I say it's ignorance, and you just call it faith, and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed, I'm an atheist, Take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, pun intended I find it disgraceful That thousands of children are raped by priests And since they're holy men of God They get away scot-free And the Pope does his very best To keep it on the hush Don't wanna affect business He loves money too much We know that they love the kids But how the fuck can we protect them While they planning to molest them We teaching them to respect them Respect them the system is broke down, working backwards in the only action of tactic I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained, millions of murders by believers, and they're all in God's name. And let me take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful, but I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful. That many atheists are told to be quiet, you're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed. I'm an atheist, 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 I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist.